Hey, Keystoners. Welcome back to Keystone State of Mind. It's me, Steph, your tour guide to the dark side of Pennsylvania. So guess what, you guys? Big things are happening over here at KSOM. The show has actually been hitting some of the podcast charts. KSOM is in the top 200 on the United States true crime and history charts, as well as the Canadian true crime and history charts. So that's awesome. Thanks everybody so much for listening and telling your friends and all the reviews and ratings. I have to give a big thank you to Pease's Mimi's who left a review on Apple Podcasts. This listener loves my lack of filter and how I just generally talk whatever shit I feel like. So you're welcome. Also, the website is coming along. I've been hacking away at it little by little, all thanks to YouTube videos because I had no idea what I was doing. So you can learn anything on YouTube, I swear to God. So you can go there. There are, it is live. There are some episodes that you can listen to right from the website. There's also a tip your tour guide link where you can go to PayPal and give me some money if you want to. There's a page a little bit about me with a picture if you're interested. And I am going to be getting some merch up there soon. So check it out. KSOMthepod.com With the show growing so much, I am really trying to get on a better schedule of recording and releasing episodes, but I've come to realize that it is just impossible for me to get a new episode out every week. Sometimes the amount of research that I have to do is just more than I can do in a week's time. I still work full time and I still have to take care of the mini farm, so... What I've decided is this show is going to become a bi-weekly podcast, and my goal is to get a new episode out every other Monday. Let's see if I can manage that. If I find that I have some extra time, I might be able to kick out some bonus episodes here and there, and I'm also going to work on creating a Patreon account for the show where I will release bonus content for a monthly donation, but I'm not there yet, so I'm not even going to get into it really. But there will be more episodes, more content, I promise. If you guys hear a little extra background noise in this episode, it's because the farmers across the road from me are haying their field today, but I really just can't wait for them to be done to record. So Hopefully you don't hear it. It's not that loud. But if you do, that's what it is. Country living at its finest. At least you guys can't smell the field. Be glad for that. Okay, enough fluff. Let's get into the episode. But of course, first we have to get into a Keystone State of Mind. As always, I'll be enjoying an ice-cold can of Keystone Light. And today, I'm actually drinking a Key Lightful. That's a raspberry lime Keystone Light, and they're fucking delicious. Check them out. 
It was the first step in a nuclear nightmare. As far as we know, at this hour, no worse than that. But a government official said that a breakdown in an atomic power plant in Pennsylvania today is probably the worst nuclear reactor accident to date. There was no apparent serious contamination of workers, but a nuclear safety group said that radiation inside the plant is at eight times the deadly level, so strong that after passing through a three-foot thick concrete wall, it can be measured a mile away. On March 28, 1979, at about 4 a.m., the first in a series of events took place at the Three Mile Island Nuclear Energy Facility near Middletown, Pennsylvania, that would lead to the largest nuclear disaster in American history. To understand the accident at Three Mile Island, we have to talk quite a bit about nuclear energy and how it works. And let me tell you, I have been fucking dreading this. It took me so long to try and understand how nuclear energy works when I have absolutely no understanding of chemistry. So I'm gonna do my best to explain this. Here goes. Nuclear energy relies on the process of fission. That's basically the splitting of an atom. This process was first discovered by an Italian physicist called Enrico Fermi in 1934. So atoms are made up of neutrons, protons, and electrons. Fermi used a particle accelerator to shoot a neutron at an atom and it knocked other neutrons off or something like that. That's my best understanding of that. This splitting of the atom, fission, creates energy, heat. And they were able to deduce that this would happen based on Albert Einstein's E equals MC squared equation, which is energy equals mass times the speed of light squared, I think. I think that's right. To make this a little more clear, I'm actually going to read from an article called How Nuclear Power Works that came from the Union of Concerned Scientists website. They explain it a lot better than I can. Atoms are constructed like miniature solar systems. At the center of the atom is the nucleus. Orbiting around it are electrons. The nucleus is composed of protons and neutrons very densely packed together. The nucleus of an atom is held together with great force, the, quote, strongest force in nature. When bombarded with a neutron, it can be split apart, a process called fission. Because uranium atoms are so large, the atomic force that binds it together is relatively weak, making uranium good for fission. Okay, so uranium is the heaviest element on the periodic chart. It has the most neutrons. So when you use a particle accelerator to shoot a neutron at a uranium atom, it splits fairly easily, it releases a lot of heat, and it also releases a lot of other neutrons. These other neutrons then collide with other uranium atoms, creating a chain reaction instantaneously that basically 
creates a controlled explosion. All this stuff was figured out during a mission called the Manhattan Project, which one of the Manhattan Project's main goals was to come up with a weapon that could stop the Nazis during World War II, which then, of course, we all know about the nuclear bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan that virtually ended the Second World War. So scientists knew the destructive power of nuclear fission, but now could that power be harnessed for something positive, for energy, for electricity? And that question then became the main focus of nuclear research. By the 1970s, scientists really had a handle on harnessing the power of nuclear fission for average people's energy consumption. But these average people, these non-scientists, really were hesitant to allow nuclear power plants to come into their area, basically because they had seen the destructive power of nuclear energy. How could that possibly be contained? Because not only is there the fear of a nuclear explosion to the layperson, but it's also the radiation that is secondary to the explosion. And this radiation causes horrible side effects, whether they be instant or come about 20 years later in the form of cancers and such. And we will talk more about how that works, what radiation does to the human body, things like that in a little bit. I'm not looking forward to it, but we're going to do it. These fears kind of had to go to the wayside, though, because in 1973, OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, which was dominated by the Middle East, enacted an embargo of oil exported to the U.S. because of the United States' support of Israel. This is when the U.S. saw a crazy shortage of petroleum, where there were long lines at the gas pumps because most gas stations had no gas to give. I've seen videos, I wasn't alive at this time, but I've seen videos of people pushing their cars because they ran out of gas while waiting in line at a gas station that then also ran out of gas. So it became really clear to Americans that we had to reduce our dependence on foreign oil, and we really had to come up with our own way to make our own energy. So this helped to usher in the age of nuclear power plants in the United States. A big tagline of these nuclear power plants was that the energy would be too cheap to meter. Of course, the average American loved hearing that. Okay, so now we have a little bit of background on nuclear energy in general. But let's talk a little bit more specifically about what was going on at Three Mile Island. That title, the name of the facility, was quite an apt description of the place because it really was a three mile long island in the Susquehanna River, just off the coast of Middletown, Pennsylvania, 
and about 12 miles north of Harrisburg, which is the capital of PA. The facility housed two pressurized water reactors, also known as PWRs, that created the nuclear energy that then went to the electric grid that then sent power to local homes. Quick correction, I think I said that it was 12 miles north of Harrisburg. That's false. It was 12 miles south of Harrisburg, just to clarify. Construction on the facility began in 1968, and the Unit 1 reactor was up and running on September 2nd, 1974. The Unit 2 reactor did not go online until December 30th, 1978. So I'm going to try to explain how these reactors worked. It's really fucking complicated, and it really took me quite a while to even wrap my head around it but I'm gonna give it a shot. So the heat is created in what's called the core. And that heat is created using nuclear fission that we talked about earlier. Now, uranium fission creates so much heat that the core has to be kept at kind of a Goldilocks temperature. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. So there's water around the core that keeps it from getting too hot. Water is then pumped through the core. It heats up the water, turns it to steam. The steam then rotates a turbine. The turbine runs a generator. The steam is then cooled, turned back into liquid water, and is pumped right back into the loop. Now there's also the cooling loop that cools the reactor. So there's kind of two separate water loops. As far as I can tell, to the best of my understanding, the water never actually touches the uranium. So the radioactivity is contained within the core and none of that water is radioactive or it's not supposed to be anyways. So that's a crazy simplified version of how that works. But if you want to know more about how the nuclear reactors worked at Three Mile Island, where I got my information on that was a video on YouTube called Who Destroyed Three Mile Island? And it is by the lead developer, Austin2018. I'm going to link it in the show notes because it is an excellent resource if you're trying to understand this. And this guy can totally explain it way better than I can. Okay, so now what happens if there's an issue and the operators of this plant need to stop the heat reaction? It's not like a coal stove where they can just stop loading in the coal and let the fire burn out. This nuclear reaction will never stop unless something is introduced to stop it. And that's where the control rods come in. These control rods are made of boron. And when they need to stop the nuclear reaction, they drop these control rods. The boron is like kind of a sponge that sucks up all the neutrons that are flying around and it puts a stop to the chain reaction. However, the heat has to dissipate. This heat that's left over is called decay heat. And it takes time for that to go away. Like when you take your food out of the microwave and even though it's not being heated anymore, it's still hot. 
and it takes a while to cool, same deal. This process is called scramming the core. There are controls and fail-safes in place so that if there is a problem, the operators don't manually have to scram the core. The system will just automatically scram. So now we're up to March 28th, 1979, 4 a.m., the morning of the accident. Everything's all hunky-dory until it's not. Something happened, and there are differing reports on this. Some articles say it was an electronic malfunction. Others say it was a clogged filter in one of these giant water pumps. But either way, the water stopped flowing into the cooling loop of reactor two. As soon as this water stopped flowing, the system could sense it. The pressure started building, the core heat started rising, and the system went into fail-safe mode. At the same time, in the control room, all the indicator lights and bells and whistles and alarms are going off to let the operators know that something's wrong. The first automatic defense mechanism that the system put into place was to scram the core. The boron control rods dropped into the core and stopped the nuclear reaction. But of course, there's that decay heat that we talked about. So the pressure is still rising in the number two reactor. The next failsafe is this release valve that opened up that allowed some of the pressure, the heat, and some of the water to be released. This release valve is supposed to be open for 10 seconds and then automatically close. Back in the control room, the operator see, okay, cool, the release valve opened, we're good. The problem is the release valve stuck open. It did not close after 10 seconds like it was supposed to, and there was no indicator light or any kind of alarm that would let the operators know this thing stuck open. So the operators see that the pressure is going down like it's supposed to, but the heat in the core, the temperature in the core is still rising like it's not supposed to. And they're not really sure why this is happening. Well, the system, the automatic fail-safes in the system also registered this issue. So an auxiliary water pump starts pumping immense amounts of water into the core to drop the temperature. The operators see that this is happening. And for some reason, they did not believe that that's what should be happening. So they only let that water run for a few seconds and then they shut it off and had that water been able to flood the core like it was supposed to, crisis averted, end of story, we're done. But of course, that's not what happened. And we can't blame these operators too much because they were not trained on this sort of incident. They had no training for this. And a lot of these guys were nuclear engineers that had been on nuclear submarines in the military. On a nuclear submarine, apparently, I don't know, I'm just, this is what I've gathered in my research here. A 
nuclear core meltdown is not the worst thing that can happen. A core solidification is the worst thing that can happen. And apparently when you add water to a core that's been scrammed, you run the risk of this solidification. So these guys are like, whoa, 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 we can't let the water go in there because it's going to go solid or some shit like that. So that was the thought process behind shutting down those auxiliary water pumps. During these few minutes in the control room, it was complete chaos. Emergency services was called. The executives of the owners of Three Mile Island, Metropolitan Edison is the name of the company, MetEd for short. They were called. And there's all this activity going on at Three Mile Island. Well, guess what? The press took notice really quickly. And people are paying attention to shit at Three Mile Island because the average citizen was already concerned about it. The number two reactor had just went online like three months ago. So when people see all this activity at the nuclear power plant, they're scared. And they want to know what the fuck is going on ASAP. Now, this is 1979. We know communications were not fabulous in 1979. So the control room only had like a couple of phone lines and everybody's trying to get a hold of these people. Also, they're trying to call out to get help. The press just is bombarding these phone lines with calls. So the people that know what to do and know what these operators need to do in this situation can't get through for like three hours. Finally, the operators realized that this release valve is stuck open and that's part of the problem. So they finally get the release valve to close. The manufacturers of this core finally were able to get through to the operators and say, you need to turn those auxiliary water pumps back on immediately. So within like four hours, things kind of settled down. The main catastrophe was contained and it was over. But the aftermath was obviously just beginning. One of the first calls that Matt Ed made was to the governor of Pennsylvania. That's right. Our old buddy, Governor Thorne Dickbag. I mean, Dick Thornburg. But in this story... Thornburg is not quite as much of a dickbag as we've seen him be in earlier stories on KSOM. He's actually kind of on top of shit and is doing right by the public from moment one. Now, who is not doing right by the public? Well, it's Metropolitan Edison, the owners of Three Mile Island. They are the dickbags in this story. They instantly wanted to just downplay this entire situation. They didn't want the public to find out anything. And they hired a spokesman named John Herbine, who was the biggest dickbag and treated everybody like idiots. And I'm going to play a couple clips from his news conferences that really highlight this fact. The question was, why didn't we notify the people? Uh, the accident... The incident occurred uh, this morning around 4 o'clock. The safety systems functioned uh, as they should have. 
that was from Ed's first news conference. And notice how John Hervine started to say the accident and then stopped himself and called it the incident in an attempt to make everybody think that everything was fine. It wasn't an accident. It was just an incident. But of course, he even slipped up because he knows better. He's just straight fucking lying to everyone. And this next clip comes from a news conference the next day when John Herbine is really up to his ass with these people's comments and questions and doesn't want to fucking hear it anymore and is just a complete douche. The release that was made yesterday was within the limits that were acceptable and was... I don't know what... I don't know why we need to we need to, to tell you each and everything that, that, that we do. Don't you feel a responsibility to a million people living around this planet to keep them informed of every last facet of I'm here today to try and, and ease the level of panic and concern and tell you that tell you Sorry, that audio is a little rough, but you can hear the frustration in the voice of the press people. They want to know what's going on. And Ed refuses to give any straight facts. They're even skirting around the facts when they're talking to the governor. Thornburg knew he wasn't getting the real story. So he called the president, Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy Carter was also a nuclear engineer on a submarine, so he knew what the fuck was going on around there. And Jimmy Carter actually showed up to Harrisburg like within a couple of days of the accident, and that really helped to ease the fears of the people of Pennsylvania, because if the president feels comfortable enough to come to the affected area, then maybe it's not as catastrophic as they originally thought. So Jimmy Carter brought an advisor with him, someone who had real knowledge of nuclear energy and pressurized water reactors. His name was Harold Denton. And there was something about this guy that really just set everybody's mind at ease. He was impartial. The president trusted him, and everybody just knew that he wasn't going to feed them a line of shit. Up until this point, Thornburg was really struggling with whether or not he should evacuate the immediate area. That meant Harrisburg, one of the larger cities in Pennsylvania, and the capital. He was really concerned and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and Metropolitan Edison are telling him, no, dude, it's fine. Like, you don't have to evacuate everybody. But then the average Joes, the press, they're all like, what are you doing about this? What are we supposed to do? And he really didn't have an answer until Harold Denton came along. And his recommendation was that small children and pregnant women, yeah, get out of the area a little bit. But the amount of contamination isn't that bad. Everybody can just chill. And really, if Met Ed would have come across and said that from the beginning and not just trying to hide everything, their reputation would not have been so awful in Pennsylvania. So with Harold Denton's press conference, his recommendations, things really started to calm down a bit. 
People trusted him. They trusted his advice. And everybody relaxed. Until really soon after, Matt was trying to turn Reactor 1 back on. Now, Reactor 1 was not the one that had a problem. And Reactor 2 was fucked, we'll come to find here in a few minutes. But the residents were freaking out. They're like, do not turn that fucking death machine back on, please. Like, hello. And they picketed and they protested. And the their call to action was no restart. No restart. And Matt Ad really had a hard time getting back online at all at Three Mile Island. So let's talk about what actually happened. What was the outcome of this accident? Well, it was a partial core meltdown. Okay, so what is that? Well, a core meltdown is when the uranium in the core gets so hot that it literally melts all the protective stuff around it, like feet thick concrete that holds any type of radioactive materials inside so it doesn't leak into the environment. A total core meltdown would have meant catastrophe for the eastern seaboard. I mean, I can't even fathom the long-term effects that it would have had for hundreds of miles in all directions. But this was a partial core meltdown. So it did melt some of its protective casings and some radioactive material did leak out. But there's more protection even further out. This whole reactor area is encased in feet thick concrete. So the radioactive material that did leak out of the core, it was contained within the larger containment system. Some radioactive steam did leak out into the atmosphere, but it was small enough amount that it dissipated without causing major health effects to the people nearby. So what is radiation really, and how does it affect the human body? Well, radiation is introduced into its environment through alpha, beta, or gamma waves. And specifically, this is ionizing radiation that I'm talking about. And what it does is destroys human cells. So this radioactive material contaminates anything that it touches. So that could be water, air molecules, solid surfaces, human cells, whatever. And if a person comes in contact with any of this contaminated material, that radioactive stuff, the radiation, will literally mutate healthy cells into unhealthy cells that continue to contaminate neighboring cells. So acute radiation poisoning will cause organ failure and death. I mean, bad stuff. Like, think about anything horrible that could happen to your body, and that's what, like, acute radiation poisoning can cause. Now, long-term radiation poisoning, so, like, say it's in the ground, it's in the ground water, it's not gonna attack you immediately, but it's slowly gonna attack your cells as time goes on. That's when you see, like, thyroid cancer and other types of cancer. And Three Mile Island had the capability to 
even on a small scale, even with this very small amount of radioactive leakage or whatever, really had the capability to contaminate like 400,000 people. So this could have really, really been bad. Now, almost all scientists, anybody who's researched this, the majority of these people really say, nah, it's fine. Even now they've been studying it for how many years? Since 79, so what, like 41 years. They're all saying that it was such a minute amount of radiation that got into the atmosphere, into the environment, that it didn't cause long-term health damage to anyone. But there are people who do not believe that. There's actually a Facebook community that has like 4,000-ish people that call themselves the Three Mile Island Survivors. And these people have had serious health complications and cancers and early onset cancer. Like in their early 30s, they're getting thyroid cancer, uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, having to have full hysterectomies, like serious health complications. And they truly believe that it is from Three Mile Island. And they've been fighting with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to just come out and say it. And absolutely no one will admit to that. I tend to take the side of the majority of scientists who studied that say, no, there wasn't contamination enough to cause health problems. But Pennsylvania does have the highest rate of thyroid cancer in the country. So make up your own mind, I guess. One thing that's really ironic and fucking baffling in this story is that the movie The China Syndrome came out like 12 days before this accident occurred. And surprise, surprise, I've never seen the movie The China Syndrome, but it is literally about a nuclear meltdown, a total core meltdown that contaminates, and in the movie they say this, contaminates an area the size of Pennsylvania. That's fucking weird. And The China Syndrome, that's like a nickname for a total core meltdown. And that's because theoretically, this core will burn so hot that it will burn right through the Earth's core and all the way to China. That's where that name comes from, the China syndrome. I remember my mom watching that when I was little, and I might have caught bits and pieces of it, but I think I could watch that movie. Maybe I should. It's just so fucking weird that it came out not even two weeks before this, and it's exactly what the movie was about. So, I don't know. Some weird universal slip or... uh Glitch in the matrix or something. So nuclear reactor number two at Three Mile Island never came back online. They just kind of buried all the debris and that's it. Nuclear reactor one was recommissioned and did start back up and ran for quite a while and actually was just permanently decommissioned last year in 2019, which I thought was kind of interesting. A lot of new safety measures were put into place after this accident, but I don't really know what they are. I did so much research on this shit and it's still not enough. Like I still have am finding little holes in my story that I'm like, I don't know what happened at that point. But this was a heavy ass subject for me to have to wrap my head around. As always, I'll put my references in the show notes with links 
So you guys can go read more about it if there's stuff that you have questions about that I didn't cover. I really did do my fucking best on this. Well, guys, I'm going to wrap this up. My neighbors moan his lawn again, and my brain hurts. No more science for a while. Damn, let's go back to easy shit like murder. Let's try not to melt down any nuclear reactors this week, and uh, whatever you do, stay keystone, my friends.